0: Imagine what it would be like if tomorrow you got a uh, mysterious letter in the mail um, marked from a foreign country, the country of Monaco. And you open it up and you, you are shocked to find out that uh, you were given away for adoption as a child, being the illegitimate child of one of the um, royal family of Monaco. And, uh, and now they're calling you back calling you back home. It's time to come back and be part of the kingdom. How would that spin your head around? Like you, 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 you've been raised to believe that you're an American citizen. I mean you are technically you kind of like a dual citizenship I suppose at this point, but, uh, but yeah, all at once even though your whole life you've seen yourself and you've lived in the context of America that totally shapes who you are and how you think. We know that. All at once you find out, wait, I'm what? I'm part of a, a royal family, I'm part of a kingdom that I've known nothing, and, and all of the privileges and all of the responsibilities appertaining thereunto, as the lawyers would say, all of that falls to me, you would either, I suppose, reject it and say, I'm just, I'm going to live in denial of that, I'm not going to buy that, I'm just, I'm an American, that's all there is to it, you could go that route, how many would go that route, by the way? I'd be like, I want to hear a little bit more about what goes along with being part of the royal family of Monaco. That sounds actually pretty sweet. Um, I'd want to know, I'd want to know. Now, we're coming finally to this sermon series, this much, much anticipated, newly minted, fresh, shiny, new sermon series on the book of Acts. And um, what is the book of Acts about? That's what we're going to find out over the next year, right? Um, a lot a lot there's a there's a whole there are huge themes i mean it's it's the gospel it's the church it's suffering from for christ it's the holy spirit it's the inclusion of the gentiles into the church it's the resurrection of jesus it's proclaiming the the risen christ to a dying world and 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 you could go on there's so much there but having said that there is a a very central very powerful, very overarching theme in the book of Acts that I wanna point out to you. And how do we know this is the theme? Well, I'll, I'll tell you. For one thing, it's a theme that Luke talked about a lot. Well, Jesus talked about a lot and Luke recorded in the Gospel of Luke. And then it comes up very quickly in the book of Acts. We see it mentioned twice in the opening chapter. In fact, twice in the section that we're preaching on today And then it comes up at the end of the book, twice mentioned in the last verses of the book. That's called, how many like new terms, literary terms and such? Yeah, okay, for the four of you. The literary term for that is an inclusio, an inclusio. It sounds like you're wanting to say Inspector Clouseau, but it's an inclusio, and that's just like bookends, and and it usually points to the idea that this is a central idea to the book. So if it's coming at the beginning, coming at the end, And and the theme we're talking about is the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God, and by God's kingdom, And you'll remember, we covered this a lot in the book of Luke, but when you kind of wrap it all together, the kingdom of God is speaking about God's reign. About God's reign, about God's rule in the hearts of his people, in the lives of his people, within the church, under the kingdom and under the sovereign reign of a king whose name is Jesus, he is the Lord, he is the Christ, and that means he is the Messiah, he is the son of David, he is the king who sits on David's throne. That is his rule, and that, and, 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 and that is the reign that we're gonna be looking at. I think about the words of Isaiah, prophesying the coming of Christ. He said, of the increase of his government, and of peace there will be no end on the throne of David and over his king, kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And that's what really the book of Acts is about. It is about that long awaited promise to the people of God that, that they would have a king who would reign and now his reign is beginning. Um, the book of Acts is like that letter, I think. You know, um, this is a small hobby horse that I get on from time to time, but I'm, I'm gonna just say this as we go into this book. I am not trying to make the book of Acts relevant to you. If by relevant, we mean uh, a lot of little sermonettes on how I can be happier and have a happier home life and a better job and, uh, and, and, and uh, uh, know how to Uh, raise my dog right and to be obedient you know or whatever that might be that makes it relevant to you we're talking about the kingdom of God our minds have to get wrapped around that so it's not so much about taking this and making it relevant to you it's about getting your brain and your soul and your mind wrapped around to become relevant to the kingdom of God then it'll be relevant does that make sense then your heart will beat with God's heart. And that's exciting, but if we go at it from the standpoint of, well, tell me something that's gonna help me, you know, uh, get out of bed in the morning or something like that, that that's, that's, that's probably not as helpful, right? So um, here's the big idea of our text today. We are called to serve, we are called to serve a great king who reigns over an expanding kingdom. Like Isaiah talked about that kingdom, of, of the increase of his government, there will be no end. That's what's really going on here. We're called to serve him. All right, Acts 1-1, the first book, of Theophilus, I've dealt with uh, all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. Now you will remember, it's only been two and a half years, um, that we took up this guy, Theophilus, when we started the book of Luke. Um, This is gonna migrate on me the whole time, isn't it? Um, Theophilus, I, I did mention him along the way, we came back to him, but Theophilus was this guy, we really don't know who he was other than the mention of him here and in Luke's gospel. And uh, what we do discern is that he was a Christian, a struggling Christian or a near Christian, maybe somebody that had been taught a lot and hadn't quite, you know, the coin hadn't dropped, um, but he was struggling and Luke was writing so he, his faith would be confirmed and, and that he would, he would really understand it. And he's addressing Theophilus in this. Here's our first item. First uh, main idea, Jesus is actively working even now. Do you see that as as he's speaking to Theophilus here, writing to Theophilus, do you see where, where I'm going with that? Jesus is actively working now. It's in that little phrase that in the first book I dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. What does that logically imply? If the first book the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke, was about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. What does that imply about the second book? It's gonna be the continuation of what Jesus is doing. You know, we, we come to the book of Acts and we tend to think about the book of Acts as if it is um, the Acts of the Apostles. In fact, I think that's, that's the title we slapped onto this before I knew where I was going, the yeah, Acts of the Apostles. That's what we always refer to it as. And it's not that the apostles aren't, very, very involved in this, they are, and from a human level, you could say it is the Acts of the Apostles, they're the main movers and shakers, you've got Peter, the main apostle in the first half of the book, and then for the last half or two thirds of the book, it's the Apostle Paul, so yeah, the Acts of the Apostles. People are involved, for sure. Uh, people are moving and people are doing things and the church is working and the church is suffering, and the church is going forward, and, 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 uh, but, but in a very real way, the book of Acts is about the continuing work of Jesus Christ himself. And you'll find, you'll find this in so many places, we'll point it out as we go along, but one of the phrases that, that pops up like three times in the book of Acts is this, um, and the word of God increased. And the word of God increased. Do you notice how that almost, it's almost detached from, from human activity as if, there were no humans involved. He's not saying that people weren't involved, but, but there is a, a, a sense in which as you follow the book of Acts, that this is Christ. He is still reigning over his kingdom. He is still active. It points to a wrong notion that we can have about the kingdom of God that I'd like to sort of disabuse us of at the very beginning. You see, the kingdom of God is one of those topics that you hear mentioned in certain circles, sometimes very liberal, uh, theologically liberal circles. And people will say we need to build the kingdom of God, and it can mean you know through the centuries it's meant different things. Yeah, we need to build better prisons, you know, more humane prisons, or something like that. You know, there's this idea that you know that we have to structure it, we have to do it. That is a wrongheaded notion. That is a compl- not, not that we shouldn't have good prisons. I'm not saying that, but um, but our role is not to build the kingdom of God. Nowhere are we told in the New Testament. That we are to go build the kingdom of God. What what are the things when you think of the kingdom of God? What are the kind of things that we're told to do? Pray for it. Pray pray for the. Well, I'm thinking just of the word kingdom now, though. But but where it talks about the kingdom of God, what is it? What are the things? What are the the verbs? It's, it's things like we are to pray, Thy kingdom come, um, seek the kingdom of God. Yeah proclaim the kingdom of God. In the book of Acts, that's a, that's a more common one. If, you look, if you're looking for a verbal idea that goes with the idea of the kingdom of God, it's like proclaim. So we're not building the kingdom because it's, it's not ours to build, it is his. We already have a king. Technically, if you've got a king, you've got a kingdom, amen? He's king, he's established his kingdom, he's reigning over that kingdom. So we're not, we're not building the kingdom. We're, we're proclaiming it. That should humble us, but it should also free us because we, that's, it, 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 just, it changes how we go about it and how we look at it and how much we think depends on us. Man, if I have to build the kingdom of God, that's, that's pretty tall order, isn't it? If, I, if it's on me. But no, Jesus is the one who is building it. He has done the work to establish it. He is continuing to do the work and he will bring it to completion. He will will return to reign over his kingdom when there will be no more enemies that oppose him at that time. It is his work and that helps us, I think. Before I jump to the next point here, um, I wanna say one quick word because it mentions the apostles there in verse two whom Christ chose and I just want to make this quick distinction we'll see it as as we're going along but we are not apostles you and I and uh, you aware of that I know there are some people who think that that is an enduring thing that 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 there are modern apostles I just want to say no that's not true that's not, that, that is not so. Paul says very clearly that the church is built upon the foundation of the apostles. The, that foundation has been laid, Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone. That is not to be laid again. That's what we have in the word of God. This is the enduring words of that apostolic community. They were the ones who uniquely were, wit- were witnesses. We talked about that before. But we're witnesses in a different way. We have not seen the risen Christ. We were not with him during that time period when he was in ministry leading up to his death and burial and resurrection. We, did, we are not the ones who saw him in that way. We are not the ones of whom it is said in the Bible that signs of the apostles will follow us. So we're different and I just wanna make that distinction. Not everything in the book of Acts is going to be at their, uh, go therefore and do likewise because we're not apostles. Rather, we are, the fa- we are the church which has been built upon that foundation. Does that make sense? It's just a word of clarity that I think we need to have um, before we go further. All right, Acts 1-3. He presented himself alive to them after suffering by many proofs appearing to them during 40 days and, here you go, speaking about the kingdom of God. Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. Is alive. Now, that's not a shocker to you. That shouldn't be really, should it? That's what the whole church is based upon, um, is the risen Christ. The apostles did not preach some abstracted idea of resurrection, just a naked abstract view of of resurrection. Correct? Yes? I mean, there were times when it kind of almost came up topically that way when Paul was at Athens. We'll see that, that the, that the, that the Athenians thought that he was preaching a God called resurrection or something because they didn't understand what exactly he was talking about. And then there's the whole time where Paul is, is arguing with the Sadducees and he talks about being arrested for the hope of, of the Jewish people, which is the, you know, the concept of resurrection, But make no mistake, the resurrection, the only resurrection that really matters, so to speak, in the book of Acts is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is is the theme. He is alive. He has risen. He appeared to them repeatedly over a period of 40 days. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15 that during that time, he appeared to 500 of the brothers and sisters who were alive at that time. Think back uh, to the story of the thief on the cross, which Luke also shared with us. You remember, we talked about it at the time, that, that the thief, as he's dying, says to Jesus, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. What was his concept of the kingdom, do you Remember? We talked about it at the time, the concept of of that thief on the cross would have been common to the Jewish experience of that time and what they were thinking, what they expected was that Messiah would come at the end. So at the culmination of human history, that's when the Messiah would establish his kingdom. So as Jesus is dying on the cross and, and that thief is trying to make sense of it, he says, remember me when you come into your kingdom, and in his mind he's thinking, way out there somewhere, you know? Maybe thousands of years from now, when you come into your kingdom, Jesus, remember me. And What does Jesus say to him? I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. And then on the third day, Jesus rises from the dead. He is alive and with his life, his kingdom has been established. Without the resurrection, there's no kingdom to preach because there's no king. That's a very central part of this whole thing is is, is the resurrection of Christ. He is alive and Jesus cares about his kingdom. Our third point, Jesus cares about his kingdom. Going back still to verse three, it states clearly that he spoke to them for 40 days about the kingdom of God. Then if you go to the last book, the last chapter of the book, you'll find in chapter 28, the very last verse, um, it says this and this is Paul, uh, it's speaking about Paul Paul is in a um, situation where he's, where he's imprisoned, but, he, but he, it's sort of a house release kind of a thing. It, it was the better of the two imprisonments that he had, but it says uh, of, of his activity, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Christ cares about his kingdom. Look back to a golden oldie here, Luke chapter four. Luke chapter four, but he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. Jesus identified his mission, his purpose, among other things, I mean, there's other statements of what Christ came to do, you know, not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom and so forth. But, uh, but here in Luke four, he very clearly says, you know, this is my mission. My mission is to preach the kingdom of God. If Jesus had an agenda, I guess you could say Jesus had an agenda, didn't he? Or multiple agenda. But if Jesus had an agenda, it was this. He taught us to pray, your kingdom come. He told us to seek God's kingdom first. And before he departed to send to his father, this was the theme that he spent 40 days talking to his disciples about. Jesus was passionate about the kingdom of God. This is what we need to start grasping as believers when we try to understand who we are, what universe we're living in, what life is about. We are living, you and I, in the kingdom. Our living king is establishing an eternal kingdom of his government. You know, there will be no end. He's establishing that that kingdom in every nation. That's what drives him. That's what Jesus cares about among other things, but you could almost like kind of put this on, on, on the top shelf, couldn't you, and say that this is the this is main stuff for Jesus, is that his kingdom would be established through all the world, and the question is, shouldn't that be our heartbeat as well? It doesn't prevent us from caring about other things. I care about getting my handicap down in golf. No, I'm just being serious, I mean I do care about it, right? care about my wife being happy, care about the kitchen getting finished. Although, we care, it's not that we don't care about a great many things, but, but this is calling us to the centrality of what is supposed to animate us. You care about the things that people, this is a hard sentence actually as I think about it, but we tend to care or should care about those things that those we love care about. I think about Jonathan and David. You remember Jonathan and David? Stupid man. Um, <laughs> Jonathan and David. Uh, yeah, Jonathan was Saul's son. Who would have been king if Saul's kingdom had not been interrupted by his disobedience? You know, God gave him the kingdom and then God took it away from his house and so that wasn't gonna continue. But had there been a son of Saul that was gonna be king, it would have been Jonathan but God anointed David, God chose David, and Jonathan loved David, and so what what did Jonathan want? He wanted David's kingdom. He, He wanted to see David reign. That ought to be how it is for us. Do we have kingdoms? How many of us have a kingdom? All of us. Every single last one of you has a kingdom. You may not think of it as quite that grandiose, but we all have things that we think we're living for. And again, I don't think it's a bad thing if you're a young person, to think, oh, I wanna have this career, you know? Maybe you've got a talent and you wanna pursue that talent, you wanna see something really take off with that or whatever it is, you, we have interests and hobbies and, 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 and you know, we wanna meet the right person and get married and have children or whatever it is. It's not wrong that, that we have those sort of smaller kingdoms, if you will but there's one kingdom that's supposed to truly matter. It is, there's one kingdom that, it, that we are to care about passionately and it's his kingdom. Jesus baptizes us with the Holy Spirit. He says, and while staying with him, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So before the apostles, are to set out, going about proclaiming the kingdom, they're supposed to wait in Jerusalem for the baptism, for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Do you think they saw that one coming? I'm gonna argue, kind of, that they kind of saw that, or they should've, I mean, there's there's a good reason, a couple good reasons why they should've had a running start on this, if you will. For one thing, think back to John the Baptist. John the Baptist had stated this very plainly. If you go to Luke 3.16, John, John 3.16, Luke 3.16, Luke 3.16, John answered them. "Um, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. All right, that seems like forewarned is forearmed. They should have seen that. Uh, maybe they wouldn't have fully understood what was expected, but then you go to, to John's gospel. John, John chapter 14, John chapter 16 are these lengthy passages speaking about the Holy Spirit. Jesus got, it's like, I'm got, I gotta go away. If I don't go away, I can't send you the Holy Spirit. If I go, then I can send him, and here's what he's about, and this is what. So they should have been expecting that. Moreover, Moreover, it was prophesied in the Old Testament concerning the days of Messiah. You look at, say, Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 39, verse 29. This is in that section, uh, in, in chapter 36 of Ezekiel, you have that idea of the new heart that God is gonna give to his people. You remember that? And then three chapters later, you're in Ezekiel 39, and he says, and I will not hide my face anymore from them when I pour out my spirit upon the house of Israel, declares the Lord. So in that end time, that time of Messiah, there was that prediction of the pouring out of God's spirit. That's what we mean with the baptism of the spirit, is the pouring out of the spirit. Joel says this, and, and you know, Peter ends up quoting him. It says, and, and it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. And this goes to the earlier point we were making that we don't build the kingdom, that it is Jesus who is the one as, who is at work establishing his kingdom. We we are blessed to be engaged in that, we we are blessed that, that we get to be part of that, but it is not by power or by might, but by my spirit, says the Lord. It is not what we muster, it's not what we bring to it. We get to proclaim the kingdom, we get to preach the kingdom, We get to to declare that Jesus Christ is is alive and and living and and reigning. But that has to take place through the Holy Spirit. You can't change a person's heart. I don't care how convincing you are. I don't care how gifted you are with language or, or, or intelligent, you can't change a person's heart. You can declare the gospel, you can tell the story you can be a witness you can give your testimony but it is it is that outpouring of the holy spirit upon us and only that that can bring about that change and it is only as that the holy spirit does that work in the heart and life of that person it is a big mistake if we start to think that it's our hard work and determination and wisdom that's going to build the kingdom of God and there have been many a pastor through the years that have just just sailed right into, in, into the rocky shore with that kind of thinking. Like, I'm gonna go out and I'm gonna build the kingdom. You know, and I'm gonna have a church of five million. <laughs> and I, I'm gonna be the ne- next Joel Osteen or something like that, you know, God forbid. Um, but, uh, you know, and, and, and then you end up in, in who knows where and, and, it, and sometimes it just doesn't happen. The, the, the kingdom barely kinda seems to just kinda creep along and you're like, no, but that's, but that's the nature. He is expanding his, he does it at his will, at his rate. Okay, Jesus discourages date setting. Jesus discourages date setting, Acts 1, 6. So when they had come together, they asked, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? Interesting question. He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. Now this one's a little controversial, actually, in in uh, in in some circles in terms of how to interpret the the tone of their question. I personally think there was nothing really particularly wrong with the question in one sense. Um, When they say, is this the time that you're gonna restore the kingdom to Israel? I think think that their concept of that was a little um, uninformed. Not misinformed, but, but under, let's say under-informed. Sh- sh- can we say that? Because they had the Old Testament, they had the concept of that kingdom, and, and they were right, you give them credit, they're thinking of the kingdom. And he spent 40 days talking to them about the kingdom. So wouldn't it be natural for them to go, well, okay, is this it? Is this, how soon, are you, are you gonna establish, you're gonna reign in Jerusalem, and reign over the nations, and, and have that concept? they didn't yet know that the Gentiles were gonna be included into the church at this point. So it's not like they're completely messed up when they are kind of Israel-centric in the way they're asking this question. You'll notice Jesus does not rebuke them about that particular aspect of the question. What he does is he kind of, he kind of gently corrects them um, and, and he gets them to understand that we are not to be focused on the win. Of it all, of the of the date, of putting it on a calendar. Think back to Matthew twenty four thirty six. But concerning that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. And brothers and sisters, as far as I can tell, this is still the same principle that that should govern the church today. You should not be sitting around worried about having a 2022 calendar or a 2025 calendar whenever you think you're gonna set the date where Jesus is coming back. It doesn't work that way, does it? I'm not saying that we shouldn't look at in questions of, of end time, you know, biblical understanding of what it means, and, and, and there will be differences of opinion, there's a healthy discourse in the church today, pre trib pre-trib, you know, mid, post, and then post post-millennial and millennial, and you can go on and on on, on on these things I'm not going to call them rabbit trails they're interesting parts of the conversation that we can have but the idea that we're going to have that nailed down and we're going to set a date on the calendar never going to happen you know that right I think I don't understand how it is that every few years there's still somebody coming and, and doing that just what five ten years ago there was a guy that kept putting it on the calendar and it kept not working, and he kept saying, well, I, I made just one slight miscalculation because Saturn was in retrograde at that point, when I, or whatever it was, you know. And then he set another date, and it didn't happen. When people are setting dates or becoming overly absorbed about this, I think you move on. You, you, you move on because there's something more important than that. Just like, okay, you're looking for the kingdom. That's good. All right. Hold that thought. But what you really need to do is this. And that brings us to the next point Acts 1 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jesus assigns us a mission. When it comes to the kingdom, he assigns us a mission. So uh, the apostles. The idea here is they were not to get too fussed about dates, instead they were, to, they were to wait in Jerusalem for that baptism, for that outpouring of the Holy Spirit and when that happened, then they were to go out into the world and be his witnesses. He gives them this mission, this marching order wrapped in a strategy, which is uh, the this, this strategy of these concentric circles. He's like, okay, stay in Jerusalem, all right? Yep, got it, check. In Jerusalem. Holy Spirit's going to be poured out. Right, okay. Then you're going to be my witnesses. And then, okay. Then from there, you know, Jerusalem, the capital of Judea, you're going to go out and hit all of Judea. And from Judea, then you're going to go into Samaria, which would be the old northern kingdom of Israel. And then from there, it's just going to go out and out and out to the uttermost parts of the world. Acts 1 8 actually reads like a table of contents for the book of Acts. We start the book of Acts where? In Jerusalem? Well, Mount of all of that, but then, then Jerusalem, right? They're there, and then it goes on. You know the general run of the book, and then by the end, where are we at? We talked about it earlier. Where are we at at the end? Rome, right? For a very Jewish church, to expanding into the Gentiles, and we're in Rome by the end of the book. What are the applications for us on that? You could make two applications, and one is probably a little bit more legitimate than the other. Um, On the one hand, you can say, there might be a principle there, a generalized principle, that we could perhaps use in our own lives, like, it's good to get the core figured out, make sure the home is in the right place, make sure the church is in the right place, reach the neighborhood, the city. I don't have a problem with that, I don't think that's a desperately wrong uh, view, but the more important and the more fundamental application is that we are still in that outer ring of the concentric circles. For the last 2,000 years, the church has been expanding, the kingdom has been expanding, and we have been going out to all the ends of the earth, to every nation and tribe and language, and that is still the goal. That is how Christ expands his kingdom. He keeps sending the church out, and we, you can see it throughout church history, and it is still going on today. I am so glad that as a church we have been actively engaged. I'm thankful to Pastor Jonathan when he came in here. Uh, I said, you know what? Uh, among other things, you know, I need you to do all the computer work, and then this and that, and, and uh, oh, and by the way, you know, our mission, our mission team could use some leadership, and, and, and I feel like our mission, um, our mission effort ha- has become really solid and really good through the years. I mean, we've 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 lost some attric- through attrition, in other words, and we have we really focused on missions that are reaching the unreached. In a few months, Tony and Lori will be here, and they'll be able to share a little bit with you about what they're doing in that area of the world, which I won't mention, but um, one of those places where it's hard to reach certain tribal groups, but they are engaged in that work, and that's still the mission, isn't it? Until, Until the whole world knows. All right, finally, Jesus reigns next to the Father until he comes. Boy, I tell you what, trying to get this all in one sermon Tough to do. These are huge themes that we have touched on today. You look at this, I mean, you've got, you know, Christ's bodily resurrected appearances, you've got the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you've got the mission of the church, and and then it culminates with the ascension and this heavenly session of Christ. Those are whole chapters in books on theology. Like, what is it about? What does it mean that he's ascended? What does it mean that he sits at the right hand of the Father? They're with Jesus, they've got their marching orders, he's made everything clear to them, and then all at once, he goes airborne. That must have been a a moment, like, yeah, you're just talking to him, it's like, whoa, wait, wait. I I don't know if he said, hey guys, I'm taking off now. Or if he, it sounds more like, it reads more like, they're just talking, chatting, all of a sudden, it's like, have you ever had that? You were smoking something if you ever had that, if you saw somebody <laughs> wheeling off. And, 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 and up he goes, and a cloud, it says, come, and, and it takes him away. I suppose it just sort of sort of enveloped him, and, and the cloud goes off in higher and higher until they can't, they can't see him anymore. And then they're just, they're what the British call gobsmacked, right? Slack jaw, they're just standing there. And then the angels show up, and i like, are like, what's wrong with you guys? You know, like, kind of like, get on with it. He's coming back he's coming back get get, get on with it get on, get on with the mission Christ was returning in that moment alive and well in a glorious resurrection body to the father from whom he had come and at the end of that cloud-borne journey what we know is is that at that moment he was seated at the right hand of God the father how do we know that well, we know it from the rest of the New Testament, but just one chapter later, Peter's gonna be preaching this. Chapter two, verse 33, he talks about being therefore, he says, being therefore exalted to the right hand of God. This is where Christ is. He reigns. The kingdom is now, the ki- I mean, there is a culmination of the kingdom which was, is still to come, but right now, understand, Jesus is reigning as king over his kingdom. I remember years ago, I was preaching and I had somebody in the, in the congregation that was a very old school, very radical um, dispensationalist. And if you don't know what that is, that's fine. It's just a particular line of thought and, and most of that has changed through the years. Most dispensationalists wouldn't believe what this person did, but they literally came up to me afterward and said, you made a mistake today. I'm like, oh, oh yeah. I always like to hear that. What did I say? And they said, you said Jesus is king. I'm like, yes. And they're like, no, no, he's not king yet. He he hasn't taken his kingdom. And they think of the millennial kingdom and so forth and so on there. You don't dare say that Jesus is already king. It's like, well, yeah, I do dare. Because that's the confession of our faith. Jesus Christ, meaning the king, is Lord. He's king. He's king now. That's the, that's the, I'm sorry if you have a quirky theology that has to come up with that weird thing that you're trying to defend. The, the, the teaching of the New Testament is that Jesus is reigning. He is reigning now. Look at what it, Paul says in, in, in 1 Corinthians 15. It says, then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and every power for he must reign, implying he is reigning, right? For he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Christ reigns over his kingdom at the right hand of God the Father until all his enemies have been put under his feet. That's the end point. And brothers and sisters, knowing that end point helps us with our beginning point. If If you're a weak Christian with wobbly knees, and a shaky faith and your name's Theophilus or Jay or insert your name here in case you hadn't seen where I was going with that. The only way for us to live out the challenge of the Christian life is to understand that we serve a king who is reigning. He is reigning. He he is at the the Father's right hand and when you know that to be true, when when you understand that, and that you're not having to go out and, and build a kingdom and, and win a kingdom that hasn't yet been won when you know that you're simply, you, you are there to proclaim, you are there to witness, you are there to tell people what's already true. It changes your whole perspective, doesn't it? And that, I believe, is what we need to get a hold of. Brothers and sisters, I pray today that Christ rules in your heart. I, I pray you got that letter, the one that told you who you really are, it's hard, it is hard to be a Christian because there is kind of that dual citizenship factor. We're Americans, I'm proud to be an American, I have no problem with that, I, I, I love it, there's so many privileges of living in this country, but you know what, that's just one part of who I am. And it's a lesser part, it's the citizenship. But it's not the citizenship, is it, uh, that, re- that really matters most in my life. The, the great true citizenship question is, am I part of his kingdom? And that's what the book of Acts should help us with. So as we're going through this, I, that, the, uh, unapologetically, that's how we're gonna look at this. We're gonna look at the book of Acts the way it's intended. Not how to live your best life now, you know? Not how, not how to have a little sunnier or happier day, but how to embrace that big, that big vision of a king who's expanding his eternal kingdom right now in this world and we get to be part of that. That's who we are and if you don't know Christ today, then we just, that's, we're just, we're giving you the old message, nothing creative here. We're telling you the old story, the story that's been proclaimed for 2,000 years. We proclaim to you a king, a lord, a savior. His name is Jesus. He is the Christ. He is that one that, that the Bible foretold would come and that, that his body would not see corruption, that God would, 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 would rescue him from, from Sheol and, and, and all of this. He, he was raised from the dead for our justification. But if you, if you want to be part of that kingdom, You have to understand, we are part of a rebellious race. We threw off God's rule in the garden, that that good, kingly rule. And God, in grace to the human human race, God, in grace, determined and planned before the foundation of the world, he determined to send his son into this world to come as as that king, but as that saving king, to die for you and to be raised and and to invite you to come into his kingdom but you have to repent you have to bend the knee to that king you have to confess your sin and come on his terms and believe in him and i just would call that call you to that come to the living christ the one who is alive who reigns at his father's right hand bend the knee to him acknowledge him as your lord and as your savior, and he will save you, and he will, he will bring you into the kingdom. Let's close. Father, I, I, I pray today that, that we have laid out a, a, a good understanding and a good um, path to look at the book of Acts. Lord, it is your word, it is your kingdom it is your priority it's your agenda and help us to fall into that and be to be happy and to be content in that lord when we try to twist your word and make it into something that just fits our little our little perspective it doesn't work it's not how it's meant to be lord instead expand our minds expand our souls to embrace what you're about to see your priority to see your kingdom and then to to accept that to just come into that and and to um, find our our meaning and our purpose within the context of that so we pray that for ourselves as believers and we pray Lord that if there's anyone here today that doesn't know Christ that they will be drawn to him Lord you poured out your spirit upon your church you've poured out your spirit um, through the gospel and I pray that your spirit would move someone's heart today Lord, that you would bring them to that second birth, that they would believe and trust in Christ and be saved. In his name, amen.